some of my other friends who are more business savvy were like, hey, man, this is kind of a wild bet. Like, I mean, you got to believe it if you're going to go into it, especially if you're going to go into it when, when, you know, CrossFit at the time had dominated the media marketplace. I mean, they were basically like an ESPN light for, for, for the industry. And you're like, you're going up against like a made hand, basically. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Justin LaFranco, founder and CEO of The Morning Chalk Up. After years in Washington, D.C., working on Capitol Hill, Justin decided to start a newsletter focused around the CrossFit community. While many called him crazy for leaving behind a promising career in Washington, Justin dug in, and four years later, The Morning Chalk Up is a multifaceted media company that provides some of the most extensive coverage of CrossFit competitions, community happenings, and more. Justin and I discuss how media has evolved for niche sports like CrossFit, along with mistakes we've both made in our respective media careers. We also talk about the importance of community to fitness, along with some fun items like the fittest members of Congress and the uh, vocal nature of CrossFit superfans. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barbend newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barbend.com slash barbend newsletter to start becoming the smartest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. Justin LaFranco, thanks so much for joining us today. I have to ask because this is something, you know, recording remotely is, is what we've been doing for the podcast for the last few weeks. Where am I reaching you these days? I'm in my uh, second story of my condo in Anaheim, California, across the street from Disneyland. Across the street from Disneyland, so I'm assuming that there's a little less foot traffic in front of your condo than normal. Yes, the strollers in the parking lot have been reduced to a zero when it's normally (laughs) flooded with individuals staying in Airbnbs in my condo complex, uh, waiting to get that 8 a.m. opening uh, bell and uh, (laughs) taking the kids there. So I I live basically in an area where there's a lot of resort uh, traffic and, you know, typically a lot of families, you know, going over to the park. Well, that's that's great context for where we are right now, but I want to take it back about, uh, call it a roughly four years, and I want to talk a little bit about The Morning Chalk Up, which you, you founded and continue to run these days. So give us a little insight into the origin story of The Morning Chalk Up. It's something that's near and dear to my heart because I'm the founder of a media company, of a, a niche media company as well. That's You're right. the founder of a niche media company. Uh, we can talk a, shop a, a lot. Nicher, a nicher media company. Nicher, <laughs> niche within a niche. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the term I'm hearing a lot these days. What's the yeah. niche within the niche? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, four years ago, end of well, at the end of February uh, was our four year anniversary. I started it. Um, you know, the congratulations. Day. By thank the way, you, That's you. That's worth marking. We're almost uh, to the, the the fifth year. You know, most most small businesses in America fail before they reach their fifth year. So we're in that pivotal, a key number five uh, to to hopefully make it to next February. And I think uh, all things uh, going like they will um, eventually get to that. Uh, that big five-year, half-decade mark. Um, but I kicked it off uh, 48 hours after the 2016 CrossFit Open 
Workout One was announced. Um, I had the idea brewing in my head for a long time. I came from the world of politics and in, in, in Washington, D.C., uh, there's sort of newsletters that kick off your morning and it condenses all the things that are happening in, in the political um, bloodstream. And it condenses it down to like a quick read, like five to 10 minutes sort of thing. And there's a couple different ones that were that were in vogue back then, you know, about a decade ago when I first uh, joined uh, the workforce in Capitol Hill. And uh, so that was the serving inspiration for this. And I just kind of thought, you know, look, like there's nothing like that in CrossFit. You can follow, you know, certain athletes on Instagram or social channels. You can follow CrossFit games and, and their media. And then you can, you know, follow some other blogs and, and folks like yourself and kind of get a full picture of basically what's happening. I was like, but you know, nothing's really right there in your inbox and hitting you every morning that, that, you know, CrossFit's only talking about what CrossFit is doing. And then this athlete's talking about what this athlete's doing. And this event's talking about what this event's doing. And I wanted to put them together into one, one product and give people an understanding, a complete lay of the land of what's going on in, um, in this industry and in this community. Uh, so I kicked it off and, um, you know, slowly grew it. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, uh, you know, it came from government politics. So I, I liquidated my, my government pension, which, uh, was, was, uh, very, very, very small and, uh, <laughs> uh, moved in with my parents back in California in Southern California. And, um, I was 20 years old at the time and managed to put together enough, uh, interest in it to just kind of keep it going and kept it humming at it. And eventually, you know, grew into you know, where we are today, which is still very much a, a startup, but, um, you know, hopefully a little bit more adult now and we're, we're, we're purring pretty good. Well, I, I have to. I have to ask. Th- that's an interesting origin story. Liquidating your government pension to start a CrossFit-focused daily newsletter. Did anyone look at you? At, I mean, I don't think that's a bad idea, but I'm biased because I'm in this space, right? I mean, I, I had a lot of people say I was crazy, but did anyone look at you and just go, Justin? What the heck are you doing, man? I didn't really tell anybody for that reason. Um, I mean, I, I told people I wasn't going to get back into politics. I, I was working on the governor, uh, Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin. I was working on his presidential campaign doing digital um, for for his presidential election. And so after the election ended, you know, I, I did some soul searching overseas and, and went to went to Europe for a couple months and came back and I said, you know, look, I'm done with politics. I want to go do some other things. I like digital and I like these this digital communication medium, but I want to try something else. I'm passionate about CrossFit. So I kind of sat around and thought about it for a little while. Uh, but I had already made the decision to move home. So life was kind of in a, in a state of flux and a lot of changes were happening. And so um, I got out of that world of politics and I just kind of was thinking and, you know, my, my, my dad was definitely like, I don't really see how you're going to make money off of this. And he's not exactly wrong at this stage of the game, That's, but it's <laughs> a legitimate, it's a legitimate question. Like you're like, you know, it's, it's not only a legitimate question, but it's, it's, you know, like we're not getting rich over here. Like don't go into publishing. If you're, if you're thinking, you know, you want to bank money and that every time you have a website that reaches a million viewers, you're like, Oh, you know, you're definitely rolling it in. So he's not exactly wrong, but we have put it on a pathway where it is, it is revenue positive. And so you're like, okay, that's not bad. Um, uh, certainly he didn't think we'd ever get to like a hundred K and it was like, uh, me, me neither kind of at the beginning. And some of my other friends who were more business savvy were like, Hey man, this is kind of a wild bet. Like, I mean, you got to believe it if you're going to go into it, especially if you're going to go into it when, when, you know, CrossFit at the time had dominated the media marketplace. I mean, they were basically like an ESPN light for, for, for the industry. And you're like, you're going up against like a made hand basically. 
Well, you're going up against it's, – it's like if ESPN was also the governing body for all of the sports. Right, it's like right. e, the ESPN, yeah. the NBA, the NFL, the NHL all rolled into one. Yes. And so and so I was like, you know what? That's true, but I'm going to offer something that they don't do and they and they pro- and they may never do. And so I I went deep into just newsletter only content and that's all we were for a really really long time. And then eventually we got a website. We didn't even have a website for the first 18 months. We were a newsletter. And that wasn't that long ago when you think about it. We've only been in business for 4 years, just over 4 years. So when the first 18 months was, you know, that was only like uh, you know, two and a half years ago. And so, um, and a lot of ch- lots changed in that environment. And so, uh, we focused really heavily on being a newsletter. We wanted to be the one. There was one thing that we could be good at, and we were just going to do that one thing. And that that focus was what allowed us to grow eventually into being better at other things. And we didn't even focus on original reporting yet. Original reporting was the ability to figure out what mattered most, which athletes to track, which ones to follow, which competitions matter, which ones don't. And matter, when I say that matter, maybe in the sport of CrossFit context. So the difference would be like, okay, Big East competition, uh, West Coast, uh, the West Coast throwdown, Orange OC throwdown back in the day, you know, I butcher the name, but, um, and so it's like looking at those ones going, okay, some of the athletes that are competing at this one, Brent Fikowski over in the West coast competing the OC throwdown in its early days. And you're like, okay, that is somebody we're paying attention to and looking for that and putting that into a product. And then people read that and they're like, okay, I get it. Like, all right, this is what we we should be paying attention to. These are other brands that are making moves in the space or hiring or, or um, launching a new product and stuff. So it keeps you really well connected to all those things. So we focused extremely hard on just that. That was the only thing we wanted to do, and you and we were going to do it extremely well. We were going to do it better than anybody else, even if nobody else was doing it, to the point where that was what we were known for, and that's what's still what we're known for. And um, so, you know, once once that changed, once the environment opened up and CrossFit began to reduce its media presence and coverage and pivot, we were in a position to say, you know what, we want to go all in. We want to become more multimedia. Um, and, and start really investing everything that we can into, into this space. And so that, you know, that transition still only happened, uh, you know, like a couple of years, not even a couple of years ago. I mean, it was, what was it? September of 2019. We're, we're still kind of figuring out that transition. In yeah, many yeah, ways. yeah. Well, in, we came in into another transition space. season. Yeah. I mean, look at yeah. this season, right? This is yeah. another one. So Yeah. What are some of the lessons that other lessons besides the idea of like a curated morning newsletter that you took from Capitol Hill and immediately started applying in building the morning chalk up? Well, big ones are um, so you know when in on Capitol Hill in Congress you're working with some of the smartest people on the planet. I mean, these are Type A. First of their also, class, kind also of some, also some of the dumbest sometimes. So. Sometimes, yes. Also, some of the dumbest, some of the most vain individuals who are who are there to make a name for themselves. Um, but uh, the staffers that work there are, are top notch. You know, they're individuals with expertise, and they their knowledge is vast, and their work ethic is extremely hard. And so, I learned that work ethic. And I learned how to distill information when you're thrown a lot. You know, we're, we're constantly inundated with facts, research reports, news, et cetera, 24-7. And you have to be able to distill that down into a product and be able to make an argument on it and be able to, you know, get, get something out 
based off all that and do it really, really, really fast with extremely tight deadlines and a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. Publishing six days a week, a newsletter can be is a similar type of process where you're we're, we're getting 25, 30 emails a day with tons of story content and ideas and people telling us this and that and this and that. And you have to distill that down into a product every day that makes sense to people. And it makes sense for a lot of different audiences, whether you're a regular cross, your everyday CrossFitter going into your gym, you're an elite athlete or in the elite athlete community, you're a coach of a gym or an owner, or you work in the industry or you're another media individual. So like we got to give something for everybody on a regular basis. And so... Uh, the lesson from Capitol Hill was how to take so much information and make sense out, out of all of it and process that quickly and do it every single day without fail. Um, another one was, honestly, it's it's learning how to interact with really important people. You know, like I remember first time I was, I was walking through Capitol building and it's like Speaker of the House walks by and you're like, that's a pretty important person. That person's third in line for the presidency. You're like, okay, you know, that's that's the most powerful person in this building right now that's kind of an intimidating thing or to be able to go up to that person and have a real conversation or an intellectual conversation or sit across from them because you're the expert in this area. And eventually I got to the point where I was having those conversations with elected officials and was able to give them honest advice or be able to take a situation and say, look, you know, Congressman or, or, or speaker, or, you know, governor or whoever it is, I really don't think that's the right call here. I think that that's going to play poorly in this landscape and that we need to come up with a better solution here. And this is what I think the ability to do that or to be able to sit there with confidence and be able to articulate something that is a skill that will translate to any environment that you ever do. If you want to be successful, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter at the industry. You're always going to have powerful people and you can either be a yes person who's going to sit there and say, you're right, governor. That is absolutely what you should do. Just go ahead and do that. Even though I think it's a terrible idea or you're somebody who knows how to think for themselves and be able to defend an idea and present it. Even if it's, even if you know, you're going to be in opposition of somebody who's extremely powerful and we're always going to be around powerful people. It doesn't matter where we go. You've built your own fast-paced environment. You've, you've taken a lot of those lessons from Capitol Hill to grow uh, a media company, even if it's a niche within a niche, as we yeah. joked about earlier <laughs> yeah. earlier on the recording. Have there been moments over the last four years? And I, I, you know, you can turn around and ask me the same question. I'll say, of course. Have there been moments over the last four years, and if so, what are they? When you just thought, hey. Maybe I made the wrong decision here. This is this is tougher than I thought it would be. I knew it was going to be tough. You're a smart guy, Justin. You knew it was going to be challenging. Yeah. But have there been moments where you saw it? This is even more challenging than I than I could have anticipated. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It happens uh, like once a month. I think, and you usually not too much more frequently than that. But sometimes it's about once a month, where I'm just like I. I like honestly, I've impo- like I, I imposter syndrome a little bit, where I'm like, I'm not the right guy for this job. Like, I need help, or I need like I'm a 33 year old CEO of this ragtag newsletter that's like trying to hopefully get paid someday, and like, what the heck am I doing? Kind of thing, like uh, I might, you know, you just not knowing which direction to go sometimes, and looking at that and saying, "Wow, you know, there's a lot of like eyeballs here, but like it's not translating to revenue." You're like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know how to make it. Like, I don't know where to go from here." And and how did how did all those other leaders who are seemingly, you know, translating that effort into success, not both monetarily success, but also industry wide success? Like, why why what am I missing? Right. You know, the self doubt that you go through and stuff. And 
it's tough, man. There's a lot of times where I'm just like, wrong call, wrong call, wrong call. Maybe that one was okay. And geez, Louise, you know, what, what is it? What's the right answer? And I'm, I'm, and I always, I run through that all the time. You know, it's something that, that I think any young, um, uh, startup owner founder has a big struggle with is not knowing what decision to make and when, and, uh, and having a little bit of self doubt. Um, and that happens all the time, to be honest. Well, well, first off, I'm just going to take some of those sound bites. And if I ever get asked the same questions, I'm just going to repeat <laughs> verbatim, word for word, what you just said and call it my own. No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's a big no-no in, in, our, in our industry. I'd have to come up with my own words. But that, that, certainly, that certainly resonates with me. So it, I, under, I understand the feeling of imposter syndrome. But I think a lot of our listeners, regardless of, of the industry, are probably familiar with that feeling. But one thing I know that doesn't give you a lot of doubt personally, because we've chatted about this before, yeah, is your passion for the CrossFit community. It's not just the athletes at the top elite levels. It's the community. It's the people yeah. trying to improve their, their lives through fitness. What attracted you initially to the CrossFit community? And what keeps you so engaged on a personal level, not necessarily a business level, with that community today? So, um, you know, I, I was first introduced to CrossFit when I was in college. I was at Biola University here in Los Angeles. And um, a buddy of mine, he lived next door to me. I was a baseball player and kind of found this thing called CrossFit. This was in 2006. Um, and I did, I did, we did a couple workouts together and it just kind of didn't stick for me. Uh, but I did move to Washington DC later, you know, once I graduated a couple years later and, um, I saw him posting photos at sectionals and, uh, oh boy, sectionals, that sectionals. takes me, that takes me way back. Way, way back. Yeah. I, I've said, I've said that in the past few weeks and someone said, do you mean sanctionals? And I said, right. I said no, no, I do not. I mean, sectionals. <laughs> there is a group of people. So we now have the, we've entered in the next generation of individuals who doesn't know CrossFit before a certain point. Like, you know, there's a CrossFit before the open, there's a CrossFit before regionals, and then there's a CrossFit before sanctionals. And that was regional. So now we're like getting way, way back. So sectionals, he was competing at and i saw these photos i'm like, dude that is cool man and i'm like i should i should get into that stuff you know and so i started doing it in the gym in the house of representatives and uh and then i i i i liked it and i enjoyed it but i was i was unfamiliar with the community aspect you know i was still just a solo writer i was just like nine or ten sometime late nine or early ten and um and so once I did step into a, a community, I was like, holy crap, you know, this is wild and I love it. And, uh, you know, fire breather totally to the max back then, you know, it was like, can't do less than a thousand reps today, you know, kind of mentality and just loved it and loved the, it, it. It spoke to my competitive nature and just loving to push myself and just being flat on my back. And, you know, and I was one of those that early kind of, t I'm type A, so shocker that I like to push it really hard and, and, and just, you know, feel that results. And I saw those results and I loved it. And, it, and then, you know, the one thing, there were two big things that I, I found that I really, really loved. One was family. And so, a lot of people have spoken about this, not only to us, or we've seen these stories that pop up on Instagram and other people sharing it, but family was this new concept because in 
because on Capitol Hill, everything is transactional. Even even your friends are transactional. You're like, this person works for so-and-so's office. And, you know, yeah, I've got some inroads here. And, you know, this person works at the White House. And you're like, okay, you know, I, I got connections all over the city. And you're at happy hours with them. So your friends are kind of c- transactional. Your roommates might even be transactional. I mean, you like the people, but you also recognize that there's a mutual benefit in y'all knowing each other, right? So, um so CrossFit wasn't like that. And it was also something that was outside of the sphere of politics for me. And I didn't know anybody that didn't work in politics. I, I, that's literally the only people I knew were Democrats and Republicans. That was it. That was how we were defined as, you know, um, and, and what your role is, it was in the party, you know, or your press secretary, your legislative aide, et cetera. And so I met teachers and, and first responders and, um, you know, workers across industries, like very few people that were there worked in Capitol Hill or worked in politics even in general. And so it was this really cool thing where I was like making friends outside. I'm like, these are people I never would have met. And they're way outside of my sphere of influence. And they're also way outside of my typical demographic. I was 24 years old when I walked into the gym. And, you know, some of these people were over 30, some people were over 50. And I was like, these, these are cool people. And we'd hang out, we'd get brunch, we'd, you know, sometimes get drinks together. And we developed like family. And that was really cool. And then the second thing that really drew me to the community was um, its strength and beauty concept. And that's something that we as a publication have tried to consciously nurture is a strength and beauty concept that there was this that was this time when people were now recognizing that strong is beautiful and that, you know, the, what the body can do is somewhat more important than the aesthetics behind it. And that was this conversation was really in vogue. And I was like, that that's meaningful because we're changing the way that, that the next generation is going to view like physical details about themselves. And that's a really important thing. And I was like, you know, the fact that you can see all these women here going, you know what? I want to, I don't know. I, I'm not interested in looking like that. I want to be able to do that. And I was like, that's, that's a powerful message. And I think that was really awesome. And it's continuing to play out all across the globe as we see that happening more and more. Uh, but that was right when that was happening and uh, becoming to be a really popular conversation. And that's another thing that drew me to the community. It's something we want to champion. And I took that, the passion that I had for those messages and said, more family, uh, more messages like this for our young guys and girls that are growing up and the ones who maybe are even struggling with body image issues themselves want to make those things more known and more acceptable in this community. And those are two things that, you know, from day one, I've just loved about CrossFit. I, I have to ask because I should have asked this earlier and it seems like a non sequitur. Fittest person on Capitol Hill that, uh, that you remember. <laughs> Man, you know, okay, so, so there was only there were only two crossfitters that i know of on capitol hill when i crossfitted me and a guy named brett manley and brett was before me to the gym and he was fitter than i was he was a big guy he was like six three you know he could lift a ton of weight um, and then, it, so it wasn't exactly me. Um, but when he stopped, <laughs> I guess technically in the open, I probably got the crown. Um, but there was a couple members of Congress that kind of dabbled in it. Uh, Kevin McCarthy and Paul Ryan, uh, Paul Ryan eventually became speaker. Kevin McCarthy was my boss. He was the majority whip, uh, became majority. And he's currently the, the, the leader of the Republican party in, in the house. Um, but now we have a CrossFitter. Who is it? It's like 
Dan Blumfield or something. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's. I'm. I'm sure we can look it up. Maybe I'll put it. Maybe I can put it in the show notes. But I guess so I can technically, give my own, but. <laughs> technically, I guess it became me because I was the only CrossFitter doing the Open on cat who actually worked in Congress. I, I, that's probably no longer the case. I bet. No, I bet there's no, much more widespread no adoption. Longer the case. First, <laughs> I could guarantee you that from my Open score, I could. You would. You wouldn't have to do much to beat me, and you know. And and take that cake because there's a lot more. There are a lot of fitter people than I was at uh, uh, at District CrossFit. That was my home gym, District CrossFit. And uh, but none of them worked on Capitol Hill, so I think I had the title for about seventeen hours. Oh, there are, there are a lot of Type A personalities on Capitol Hill, and as there CrossFit are. has become more popular, it's it just it's like a ripple effect through those groups. Justin, bringing it back to the community aspect of CrossFit, when you decided to go all in. Yeah. on the morning chalk up and, and really build your professional life around something that was already part and important of uh, important in your personal life. What additional things have surprised you about the CrossFit community since you founded the morning chalk up and since this became such the, the focal point really of your career? Wow. Things that have surprised me. Um, it could be it could be for the good or it could be for the not so good. <laughs> um so I'm trying to think how to phrase this, but CrossFit um CrossFitters are super vocal. And I it wasn't that I surprised about it. It is CrossFitters to like to talk about CrossFit. We we know this very, very well. Um, our families and friends have reminded us of this fact for many years that we like to talk yeah, about. Yeah, how, how do you know someone does CrossFit? You'll <laughs> yeah. know. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. Exactly right. Um, and But they're, they're a lot more vocal than I had originally thought, and, and, and vocal in both a good and a bad way. So and I think it's becoming more common now. Um, you know, that people are really, really coming out and sharing their opinions. And so in the last 18 months, we've seen a lot of opinions and opinions are very, very good, but they're very strong. And the CrossFitters, I don't think are any less passionate about the things they're passionate about. Um, and so that did surprise me the, the the community itself by and large is a very, very gracious and very understanding community, but on the internet, it's gotten a little, it's gotten a little wild. Um, and we're seeing that happening more and more. And I think that that is maybe, maybe it's a trend a little bit. Um, and it's not necessarily indicative of, of what we're going through right now. Um, it was happening long before um, coronavirus and people were pent up in their, ho- in their homes with little else to do um, and frustrated. But I'm seeing that a lot more. There are very vocal um, comments and, and, and things like that. There's a little bit of nastiness that's going on. I was a little bit more surprised about it. Um, and uh, a little bit more finger pointing than I expected. But that was kind of a surprise. Um, you know, one thing that, was a surprise also was just how supportive the community is. And it's, I think it's, I think it's a surprise because of where it came from. I think anybody who's been in the community for a long time knows that like knows that's what CrossFit is known for generosity, like really, really generous people who take care of each other and treat each other like family, the whole family. Um, but I was surprised to the extent of it because I came from a very cynical place, which is, which is, politics um the most cynical and vile uh and vitriolic you know sort of environment on the planet and the deeper i've gotten into the community the deeper i've realized just how committed individuals are to the success of others and that was a very very 
positive surprise. And I keep getting reminded of it constantly. Like right now, I mean, you're seeing it, right? You're seeing all of these um, people stepping up to try and help others and to little or no benefit of their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they're doing it out of their own pocketbooks, and they're trying really, really hard to make sure that there's a gym to come back to, and um, and that's that big heartedness is um, uncommon. It's it's uncommon anywhere in the world today. I want to dig just a level deeper when you talk about the vocal element of the CrossFit mm-hmm. community and how that's not always a positive. It's positive sometimes. It's true. Uh, it's it's positive, not, yeah. not always, but yeah, there are a lot, a lot of a lot of a lot of good things about it. Where are some of the schisms? that you see within the community from your perspective? Yeah. Um, well, coronavirus right now is, is definitely a large divide. Um, the individual gym owners' response to whether they can or cannot open and, um, and, and their, their desire to do that and their method of doing that, that's, that's an area we're seeing that unfold in real time where individuals are like, um, really, they're kind of at each other's throats a little bit. It's not, it's not terrible, but we do see a lot of comments. We, we do see people just being like, um, the broad spectrum of things. And that's not, that's not special to this community. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's, that's a conversation that's happening on a global scale across every industry. People are frustrated. They're closed. And so we are seeing that that is a large schism where individuals are on one side or the other side. Um, they're in the, uh, and, and they're all business owners. So they, they, you know, technically they run their own company. Uh, to the way they want to, so they, you know, they they obviously have an opinion and a right to ha- have that opinion, uh, but there's there's a, there's a pretty deep divide there. Um, nutrition's a pretty big, pretty deep divide. You know, that's another one where we notice it's like it's like people would people would uh, I put that like God and politics and like nutrition. It's like it's like it's like that's like like religion, politics, and nutrition in CrossFit. Those are like sacrosanct. Like if you want to get into debate, like talk about probably I would say uh, do nutrition over politics and you'll probably get a more start uh, like a like a like a uh, a bigger divide in response you know because nutrition's super personal to two individuals just like just like politics and religion are and it's kind of like sacrosanct you know it's like that's a deeply held belief um that's a big divide in the community where individuals are one camp another camp or another camp and um you know we see we notice a lot of comments that go down that route I mean, those are those are pretty those are pretty interesting, and I I, I agree. Uh, I having seen a slice of those, I, I would agree with both of those, and I like that you put, place such an emphasis on nutrition because it is something that people hold near and dear, and no matter yeah. how much you understand that, there will come times when it surprises you, and it will surprise you how how much debate even. Even the most innocent observation or piece of content around nutrition yes. can can ignite. Yes, so I, quite. I, I, I certainly am, am glad you bring that up. One thing I, I want to shift focus on a little bit and sure. ask you about, um, and you mentioned the struggle that a lot of gym owners, a lot of CrossFit affiliate owners are going through right now as independent business owners yeah. uh, regarding gym closures and things like that. Most of the CrossFit gyms in the United States, the vast majority, and there were some great stats on the Morning Shock Up about this, the vast majority of CrossFit boxes in the United States are still closed as of this recording or have been closed for some period of time yep. due to COVID-19. Yep. What percentage attrition rate do you think we're going to see over the next year for gym CrossFit boxes that don't make it? Yeah. So our, Armin had asked me this question early on when we report, first started reporting statistics. Back then, the closure was like 70%, I think, in the United States. Now it's up to 96%. And it's about 96% still. I know that the gyms are starting to reopen, um, but it's a, it's probably about that as of the recording of this. Um, I had estimated somewhere in the vicinity of like 5 to 10% probably don't make it back. Um, 
And, you know, so that's, that's, uh, well, that's 600 gyms. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be, that's 10% would be 600 gyms. So, you know, cut that in half. So 300 to 350, I wouldn't be surprised if that, if 5% of the gyms don't, don't make it back right now. We're tracking, I think 36 gyms for, or 47 gyms and they're permanently closed since we began tracking in April 13th. That's as of Monday today. Um, and they're not all in the United States. Um, but honestly, it, what we wrote, I mean, like we wrote a piece today, you know, about California's future and I mean, California has 771 affiliates. It's 11.1% in the United States. So when you, when you think about that, California's governor suggested months, not weeks away from opening, um, gyms, which are in stage three of California's reopening plan. Now, obviously that's subject to change and the environment is very fluid, but when you look at that and you go, okay, so gyms have been closed basically for 45 days. I mean, that's, that's about 45 days ago is about is, is when the stay at home order was issued 45 days ago today was when the, um, stay at home uh, order was issued and gyms began to close as well as other non-essential businesses. So you look at that and you're like, okay, well, if it's months, not weeks. And so another 45 days will be three months. That's three whole months that individuals have been paying for their memberships without receiving the primary service for which they're paying. And so you look at that economically and you're like, okay, how much longer can gyms hold on? That's three months. That's an entire fiscal quarter. Like that's 771 gyms there. That's your 10%. I'm not saying all gyms in California close, but I'm saying, look, um, if they don't start reopening and if they're forced to close, be closed and have doors closed for two, three months, that's a long time. That's a long time to come back from. And we know that they're not sitting on a pile of cash to pay rent with. And there are a lot of rent forbearance programs that are out there. There's, there's rent, for not, but not forgiveness. And there's a difference. Forbearance is not forgiveness. And just because they don't have to pay it this month doesn't mean they don't ever have to pay it. And then, you know, and we're tracking all kinds of different stories. And so there's obviously a lot going on with that. And there's a lot of gyms that are in this limbo phase where they need to sign a new lease or their lease is coming up and they don't know what to do or which decision to make. And why would you put in a five-year contract for, you know, to sign your business up and, you don't know what's going to be around and you, know, you can't even operate even if you move to a new place. And there's some gyms coming to us telling us, yeah, that's where we are right now. We don't know if we're going to be around. We still technically have an affiliate because we've paid for the rest of the year, but um, we don't have a location. And I think that you're not going to see these closure statistics getting reported today. I think that you're going to, it's going to be there. I think that there's like a, a, it's going to be a delayed effect. So that number I think is going to rise, but it's probably going to be a little while before that happens. Um, and you're going to see ones that are slowly starting to trickle out. Certainly, I hope that's not the case. A lot of a lot of people have stepped up. You know, CrossFit, UIM, um, other businesses and companies donating profits to try and make sure that people keep keep their memberships and stick around. But um, I think you're going to see more attrition when it comes in the next two months than you're necessarily were going to see in the first 45 days of closures because people are still holding out hope and they're and they're trying to explore all options before they close the doors. Well, Justin LaFranco, I. I- Appreciate you sharing your insight on into politics, the crossing community, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, although maybe guessing really is all we can do at this yeah. point. Some of the long term impacts uh, that COVID nineteen is going to have on the community. Where is the best place for people to follow you and the work you're doing at the Morning Shock Up? So morningshockup.com. We've got a daily newsletter it comes out Monday through Saturday, and we uh, 
you know, uh, deliver right to your inbox, about a five, seven minute read. Um, that's the best place to reach us. Uh, we also have an Instagram account and a Facebook too. Um, if you want to follow me, um, <laughs> chalk up JLo. That's my Instagram. Uh, don't post a lot. I'm usually uh, focusing on the, the bigger picture with the morning chalk up stuff, but you can always, you can always, uh, you know, reach out to me, uh, Justin at morningchalkup.com too. That's my email. And you can, uh, you can fire me a message and, and let me know how awesome we are or ways we can improve <laughs> too. Yeah, and be, <laughs> Or just be vocal. Or just yeah, be vocal just be about vocal. something. I mean, I answer, I answer all my emails, so I, I get to them. Justin, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, I appreciate thank it. Thank you very much, too. Yeah, best of luck out there. 